0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Searchcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. It's almost a fangirl moment for me to welcome Akash Gupta, who is a renowned product management expert, a thought leader. And he has a wealth of experience in working in various product management roles across top tier technology companies, where he successfully led teams driven growth and delivered innovative products that have made a significant impact in the industry. These include the likes of Google, Epic Games, Affirm, and more he is not only a accomplished product leader but he's also a prolific writer on product management i along with many have been beneficiaries of that and i'm sure if you're into product you probably would have seen this content or come across this content on linkedin or substack he shares his knowledge and expertise with the community through insightful articles workshops and engagements. and he's passionate about mentoring the next generation of product managers and helping them navigate the challenges of the ever-evolving tech landscape in this episode, we'll discuss with Akash his journey through product management, his transition into leadership roles, um, and his unique insights into product-led growth strategies and what the what the future of product management holds. So, welcome to the podcast, Akash. Pleasure to have you here.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, so I'm going to dig right into it, Akash. I'd love for you to give a brief overview of your journey. What made you go into product management, and how has it evolved over the last few years?
1: Oh boy, what made me go into product management? Probably not much of a sensible reasoning besides the fact hmm. that I had found this company where I went to university. They were really cool, I'd worked with them in school, and they needed a product manager. And so what Scoutforce did was they were selling kind of your sales force for your athletic college recruiting teams, which U.S. football, U.S. basketball, they'll have like 40 recruiters at a D1 school, and so there's a lot of coordination challenges. That we scaled to 40% of the D1, and so it was a really successful sort of niche B2B SaaS software product. From there, I started my own company and worked on this app called to Beats, which we scaled to a team of seven, worked on for about four years. And from there, I really joined like the professional life of the Silicon Valley product manager world. And so, I joined this company in its Series D phase, which now is public, called ThreadUp. And that's where I made the transition from IC to product leader. And since then, I've been double-clicking on those product leadership chops at places like Epic and Affirm. And somewhere along the way, I started writing publicly and it started as let me get thoughts from my fellow product leaders and now it's become what it is today and so yeah i'm very excited to be chatting with you
0: so how do you think product management as a field and a profession has evolved over the last 10 12 years
1: oh boy so much so I wrote like a 5,000 word piece on this and I'm not going to rehash all of it, but I would break it down. like When I started in 2008, that was really still part of the agile revolution and teams were just getting used to what it could look like if product managers were empowered, if there wasn't a waterfall business development process where the executive leaders, the sales team decide these are the features we need to build. And then that's handed over to what was often called like it or the tech team or the R and D team. Now, nobody even uses those terms, right? They use like those are the engineers and the product managers. So that was only just starting when I began a product management and then I think especially Google really helped increase the profile and brand of the role. So while I was working on my startup in Silicon Valley, I started noticing that all the smartest people who would have been starting up companies like myself were becoming PMs at Google and at Facebook and at Snapchat. And it was like very surprising, but I think that was really the ascent of it as the big techs took up product management, then things like Marty Kagan's profile started increasing as well. He had actually been writing about product management slightly before that, but then he released inspired this really like excoriated how a lot of financial services, a lot of normal traditional CPG companies were doing product management. And that further increased kind of the importance of the role. That was when you started to see salaries for product management to compare favorably to software engineers, whereas before it was more in the marketing ranges. And so as that pay scale increased, as competition for experienced product managers increased, the quality of people doing product management also increased. I think the global proliferation happened right around at that point. That was like your mid-2015s, when you started seeing even in India, in Pakistan, tons of product managers. And then you saw all the product schools open up, product faculty, mm. product school. Now Carnegie Mellon has a product management master's degree program. And so I think that at this point, you can say it's like officially in its kind of mainstream phase. And I think the growth has seemed more asymptotic than exponential now to me.
0: I'd love... kind of get your take on what really makes this such an attractive profession? We saw this happen with data science in the early 2008 to 2012
1: period. Yeah, I think that, you know, the combination of money and not needing a computer science degree really determined the future course where you saw investment bankers, management consultants, all sorts of people who were just generally high performers, like I was valedictorian in my high school, I went to Harvard, those people would often go to private equity, but now all of a sudden, the hot job was to be a product manager at Google. And so that's what they did instead. And I think that the reality of it, as Charlie Munger says, right, is that incentives determine behavior. And so ultimately it could be as sexy of a job as high impact of a job if it doesn't pay well, if you can't get into it, it doesn't matter. And in that those two key vectors, product management really opened up.
0: So now let's get into a few questions about your opinions on certain qualities and skill set required by product managers. And I specifically call out this example by Shriyas Toshi, who who is another leader in the product management space, and speaks a lot about how it's extremely important to be a clear thinker as a PM, right? And as elusive as this term is, he writes and expands on what he means by that. You come across as someone who is an extremely clear thinker and are able to communicate and articulate complex topics in a digestible way. Um, I'd love to get your take on how have you perfected that process over time and how would you give advice to aspiring product managers or current product managers to start upskilling themselves in this area?
1: Clear thinking is one of those really elusive skills. I think that if you were the type of person who naturally scored really highly in all of your school subjects, you might just expect, okay, that I'm a clear thinker as well. But it turns out that clear thinking as a product manager and clear thinking in academia are not the same skill (laughs) and so that's why i think shreyas writes so powerfully about this topic in particular you'll see your iit iim grad come into the pm job and not think clearly and you'll find some b student who was making money on a side gig really excel in the career and so it's this funny dichotomy where clear thinking, I think, means three things. One, not thinking like everyone else. And I'll dive into that a little bit more. Two, having this hierarchy of processing knowledge. And I'll walk through what the four key steps are in that processing of knowledge. And then three, absolutely growing through practice. And so let's go through first, like, How do you really think about clear thinking is you need to process this knowledge. So I'll talk about like the inputs you have, what you're thinking, what you're speaking and what you're writing. So the inputs that you have, you need to constantly curate the quality of those inputs. And so actually with like TikTok and social media, like everybody has been getting substantially dumber. They've not had access to this high-quality content, and so they're, they're, like, highly distractible. So if you can kind of go orthogonal to that and go back to my principle of thinking differently, like, while everybody else is reading social media, if you can read long-form newsletters and books, you're going to be much better off. So what it's going to do is, if you're not thinking in the template of everyone else— Like, I just want to go become an engineer or a doctor. I just want to get these good grades. But if you're actually thinking originally like that B student who's creating a company, it helps you see the world in first principles. It helps you establish new paths that other people haven't taken. And that's how you think clearly ultimately. And so you also need to do that with your information, content consumption, which translates into how you think, which translates into how you speak which finally translates into how you write. And writing is kind of the final component about this process step that I mentioned, which is that to really think clearly, you need to force yourself to write. What happens when you think is you put all these dots down on the page and you think they're really coming together strongly. But as you write, you're forced to figure out how those dots connect. And that's actually when you do great thinking. And so great thinkers are constantly writing. And then the final component is getting a lot of practice and feedback for me personally. Like if I look back five years ago, if I hadn't spent those 50 hour weeks on product management, I would be a much less clear thinker. And so like getting out there, putting the reps out there, there's almost no replacement for that when it comes to clear thinking in product.
0: There's a, just kind of talking about being able to kind of put your writing out there and being open to feedback. There's also this notion that a lot of people now start their own podcasts, newsletters, blogs, uh, even when they're not, let's say, when they don't have the domain expertise in that area. Do you think that people should start to publish as soon as possible?
1: I'll pick apart two two sort of dimensions to that question. So I'll talk about, like, whether you should create, and then separately, I'll talk about How do you actually create the dimensions to improve on your critical thinking? So if we first start with how you should create and why you should create, like anybody who wants to create should feel like they can create because the process of creation is going to improve their thinking. So being shy about only having six months of experience as a product manager, that's fine. Write to yourself six months ago when you were just starting the job or you were searching for the job, or if you are currently interviewing to be a product manager, write to yourself six months prior, when you were just learning about the job to begin with, there's always somebody behind you. One step that you can write for that you can create valuable content for. So really the question is like, are you interested in creating that content? If so, go ahead and do it. But, Also then the other component, like about being a critical thinker is like, what is that content doing for you? Like I would say nine times out of 10, if you're working as a PM at a company, that time would probably be better spent on internal writing. So you should, you know, think about if you want to write about product discovery, why don't you write a doc for your head of product about how they could up level the product discovery processes at your company. That seems like a great way to increase your earnings potential, increase your learning, express yourself through writing. And so I would highly suggest that like people focus on internal writing. Social media is generally going to look distracting to your employer, unless you do it at like an extremely high quality, you really monitor the times you do it. And so I think too many young PMs are like, I want to go become a product influencer. And I'm not sure that they're ready to do that yet, but if they want to become someone who helps other people get the PM job or something, that is a little bit more of a reasonable fit and goal.
0: You've written a lot about you know these product teardowns and company teardowns to make your audience understand as to why, for example, if a certain company has become very successful, you go back and from first principle thinking, try to identify the areas what led to that, right? And one of those topics that you've written about is network effects and the role of virality. And so I'd love to discuss what is the role of virality and network effects in driving the success of companies like Notion and Airtable and Dropbox and the likes in their product-led growth strategies and how can product managers design their products to encourage viral growth?
1: Yeah, so let's dissect those companies from that first principles approach together briefly. And we can add in a couple more to the mix. Then we'll take it to the level of product managers implementing it. So Notion, they've built like a magical product where you can upload a document with unlimited views, no storage limit, no capacity on how many people see it for free. So what they've done is they've created an alternative in the fierce market dominated by Microsoft Office and the competitive challenger of Google Docs with something new. And that's just an amazing feat. Like it's crazy that they've done that. And it's worth like any PM thinking through like what they should learn from Notion. Same with Airtable. So what has Airtable done? I think less people know Airtable. So Airtable has built a no-code automation connected apps platform. And so where it's powerful is that, let's say I want to build an automation between Google Sheets and Tableau and Google Docs and Notion, okay? So you have these four layers, right? So it's gonna help you build that automation in. So it'll take the DB from Tableau, it'll create the pivot table in Google Sheet, it'll put it in your Google Doc with your roadmap result, and it'll publish it to your Notion for your public-facing roadmap, whatever it might be. Like, look at that amazing power, and then you can take that power and you can share it with people at other companies or within your company. And so that shareability of its, hard, of its software is what has helped it grow so fast. And then if you think about Dropbox, so Dropbox, it made file sharing and sync dead simple. And so that's really cool because it has the sharing component built right in and so we're already seeing some some themes here we're seeing like really really magical product some very shareable product but let's look at a couple more examples right so like let's say slack or figma or bill or apollo these are some other really interesting product led growth examples and what's interesting about for instance a slack is how they've started to layer in the freemium component for something that everybody has interacted with, right? There's a limit on your users. There's a limit on your message history. There's a limit on so many interesting elements where they're they're encouraging you to go paid. Figma is the same way. There's only a certain number of pages you can use, but you get to experience the full magic of Figma otherwise. Or build.com is probably one of the most interesting examples here where, In order to get paid, you need to create a bill.com invoice of account. And same with like a DocuSign. So with all these examples here, I think that the first principles around product-led growth are, as a PM, how can you, one, reduce your time to value so that people experience that aha moment really fast? And then two, how can you drive them from aha to habit? so that they're constantly using your product and then three how can you take them from habit to sharing and how can you build in a component where somebody needs to create account with your product in order to experience the magical thing that your user made and so if you think about those three components plg is just another way to have a go-to-market motion it's really good for smbs it's not as great for enterprise. And it's really good if you can get to value without much setup or integration. And so those would be kind of my lessons for PMs as they're evaluating PLG.
0: Amongst all of the products that you mentioned, I've been an ardent user of Notion since the past four or five years. And I remember when their product didn't look as good as it does right now, but even back then, it was for me miles ahead of any other alternative. And the reason for that was more than anything it gave me, if you look at Confluence and you look at Google Docs and you look at Microsoft Word, all of these had, had good text editors and they would give you templates on top of it. Notion kind of said, we understand that each user has their own requirements and they can't be fit into a template. We can give you a template, but if you were someone who would have their own requirements and you would want to customize your productivity suite to what you want, here you go, we are just giving you the building blocks. And I go back to what you thought about, right? That the value of giving the user the aha moment as soon as possible, and initially Notion had this, you can build thousand blocks, you know, that was their PLG strategy, that you can build thousand blocks without running into a paywall. Um,
1: Yeah, Notion is awesome. I think that every PM should just at least try it, at least evaluate it and ask themselves like, you know, what can I model off of this for my product?
0: All right. So moving to our next question, can you share some strategies or best practices that product management teams can implement to prevent falling into the trap of delivery focused mindset?
1: Yes. So let's talk about the delivery focused mindset and where it occurs most. I think that the more you hear your executive say something like digital transformation or anything like that, that's going to be your red flag that you might be in a delivery focused environment, but it's not always the case. And what delivery focused means is not, you know, what your title is, not what company you work at. It's literally the situation of your team. Are you one empowered? to make decisions to change your roadmap on your own. Two, do you have either specific metrics, business problems or user problems that you're trying to solve? Three, do you have the ability to ship and graduate features? And so as I think about those three capabilities where this breaks down, like first, if you need to, be within the half year planning cycle. And once the executives have reviewed that and that's locked down, then you're not able to change your roadmap on your own. So that's violation. Or two, if when you see a negative result, you can't just reject the feature, but you need to ask the executive who asked about it, then you're again in this delivery-focused mindset. And so delivery is all about you not being in control of your own fate. It's about you not having the empowerment to create the next feature on your roadmap. And so the thing that you can do to break out of this, as an individual product manager, it's going to be fairly hard. So I'm going to start with the product leader, and then I'll go to the harder case of product manager. If you're a product leader, you need to start to convince your CEO, your head of sales, and whoever else is really driving the roadmap today, that there needs to be a change in how things are done. As they point out problems in the product development process, you need to connect that back to this. And it's not going to happen right away. It's going to happen over a few months, but you're going to show them that it's broken because the teams aren't empowered enough. And then you make the shift from delivery teams to empowered teams. And you make that shift happen by changing your planning processes, by changing your review processes, changing how you measure success for your PMs to say that your PMs should have been strategic. They should have said, no, they should have driven impact for features that weren't like formally planned. And so as you do that, you can easily make the shift as a product leader. Now, as a product manager, it becomes much harder. So what I would suggest for you to do is like build the consensus at your squad level that you're going after some problem or impact. And then as you need to get permission from your sales or your CEO or your head of product or whoever it might be, who's not empowering you, just show how proactively you are coming up with an idea that's higher impact, because you know what? Every leader even if you're in a delivery meet team, they wanna hit the results. That's how they're measured as well. And so if you're helping them hit the results and you frame it in that manner, you can get a lot of traction. Even if it feels tough, even if it takes months, I encourage you to just persevere and you actually can make the shift for your little squad.
0: Yeah, and I'm assuming it's easier for teams that or companies that have been set up in the last 10 years to have that product culture right from the start moving on to a few questions related to how you transition into a senior product leader from an individual contributor i'd love to pick your brain as to how that transition looks like and how the role of a product leader differentiates from the role of an individual contributor who is working as a product manager and how do the responsibilities and expectations change as one moves up the ladder in product management
1: Yeah, let's go level by level and then we'll kind of philosophically distill it down. So as an associate product manager, you're often working like on features that are either given to you or other people have thought about in a relatively small artifact or space. And your aperture is, you know, six months maybe into the future. As you move into those senior product manager roles, your aperture needs to expand in terms of product artifact in terms of time of product building, going from simply roadmap to strategy. And then as you get into that lead product manager role, it's how do you think more broadly than just the product that you're working on, but the overall product org that you're in and how you're making impact on that org. And then as you get into the group product manager, it's how do you manage a team of product managers? How do you improve where they're weak and make them stronger? How do you set a one-year-plus strategic vision for a charter? How do you organize the team? How do you hire and build out people? And then as you get to the director level, it's how do you change the course of the company? Actually change, you know, the uh, enterprise value at a measurable level. And then as you get to the VP, like how do you build the engine so that multiple director led pods are doing so? And then as you get to like chief product officer, head of product, how do you set the two year plus vision that everybody can work backwards from? So that's like the ladder for people who don't know. And now if we start to dig into that philosophically for me, like, and specifically on the step of How do you go from, say, lead, principal, PM, to group product manager, like managing PMs? I think that the big transformation in your job is the icy heroics really become like 10 to 20% of what you do when your team doesn't have capacity. But otherwise, you have to focus more on building a system. How do we have the right meetings? How do we have the right teams cross-functionally aligned? How do we set the right cadences of cross-functional alignment. And those become the things that you're focused on, as well as how do I interface with other product leaders? So that is probably the biggest change step and one of the harder jobs because you have to straddle both worlds in terms of leadership layer and executional layer. And so you have to be able to go super deep into what is the current status execution? What are the blockers? What are the hypotheses and measurements for success? All at the same time while you're evangelizing the roadmap to the rest of the org. And so that's what I found was like the most significant difference.
0: How do you balance your focus on product strategy and user problem? You touched upon it a bit, like the IC heroics decrease to just 10, 20 percentage of what you do, but how do you focus on product strategy and user problem solving? versus management responsibilities and just from your own personal experience does the joy of solving user problems as an ic remain the same when you're working in a senior role as opposed to in a junior role where you're in the weeds of solving a certain user problem
1: so the interesting thing is that you're never stopping solving user problems you just might change kind of the aperture at which you're solving those user problems so and senior pm might be solving a problem around how on the website people aren't easily able to get to the app. And that might be part of a broader problem that the director or group product manager is solving about how to solve the second touch problem for activation. And so as you move up, you should still be really problem focused. And so if anything, like I am even more joyous about solving user problems at senior levels and that I think should be the focus. So then the component around how do you balance focusing on strategy and user problems and management responsibilities. I actually think user problems should drive strategy. So those two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. So it's really about strategy and user problems versus like management responsibilities. And so the thing about management responsibilities is that you should... Flex that up and down based on your team's needs and the executive needs. So it's just like being an ICPM where sometimes you're focused on the product review, sometimes you're focused on the roadmap. Sometimes you're focused on on blocking your engineers for shipping a future. It's always changing. And so your percentage of time on these activities is always changing in the exact same way and the vector that you need to focus on the most is where's the burning problem in my business? And so I tend to think about Eisenhower matrix prioritization. So what's urgent and what's important? What's not urgent and what's important? What's not urgent and not important? And what's, you know, the four corners of this two by two? And so as you think about that, then you... As a leader, you could work on 250 things. And so you have to go further within that urgent and important bucket and find like the one or two things that day you can do. Because within your managerial responsibilities, you're going to have 30 hours of meetings booked. And so you only have that little bit of time for leverage. And so you need to prioritize within that Eisenhower matrix, like what are the couple things you're going to do? And what that is, is going to change dramatically over time. So there might be an entire quarter where... I'm not as focused on writing up docs because I'm really developing my team and organizing cross-functionally. And so it's about that flexibility.
0: Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so what advice would you give to product managers uh, who are ICs, who aspire to become better leaders or who want to climb up that ladder like you earlier pointed out? What skills, experience or qualities should they be focused on developing? And what roadmap should they keep in their head to start working on to get into those leadership positions?
1: Yeah, so the reality of it is that most people like they want to be moving up the corporate ladder. And so the first thing I would say is like patience. Zen. Like as we started this conversation out at, like this is a job that a lot of people would want to have. And so like be super grateful that you're like in that position. And most importantly, Treat the job you have today as the most important job you're ever going to have in your entire life. And so, if you give it that level of importance, if you like succeed so well in your current job, you're going to, your company, all of the organizational, everything about capitalism, the way it exists today, is going to push you towards moving up the ladder. So, I think that like the failure pattern here is to be like, I want to become a director by the time I'm 30. And so, like, I want to manage a larger team. And, like, it's going to detract you from that first principles thinking around, well, as a group product manager, should we really have a fourth person on my team? Or is that not the right decision for the business? And so, if you're instead like focus on the right decision for the business, focus on the right thing for your current job today, that's how you're going to move forward. So, that's point one. Like, don't go career seeking, like go to crush your current job. And then point two is like, you need to have really strong self awareness about where your personal weaknesses are. And so I highly encourage people to ask questions like on a scale of one to 10, what's my performance in that last product review or on a scale of one to 10, like, how am I doing in terms of crafting product strategy? Ask your engineering partner on a scale of one to 10, like of all the end product managers you've worked with, how do I rank? Like you need to have that actual data. Otherwise, if it's just wishy washy feedback, you're never going to actually know. And then you need to break down, like what are the drivers of you not being at a 10 in all these areas? And then you need to work on them. And so, I would say like very few people actually do this because very few people want to know the negative sides and they think that they already do in their head, but they'll be surprised that what people think of you and what you think of yourself are pretty different because the other people don't have the spotlight effect where they're focused on you all the time versus you do.
0: In your experience of writing, working, you know, in companies like for Google, right? For which for me is the best technology company that's ever been made. And other product leaders that you interact with. What do you think the top one percent of product teams have in common? And this is probably repetitive of some things we've already touched on in some of our questions about product leadership transition. How would you go about answering that?
1: Yeah, so there's, they're remarkably similar, like at least the ones that I've seen. And so there are like very identifiable characteristics that you can, you can actually see almost externally often as well. So like one is like they move extremely fast. And so what that means internally is that they can deal with ambiguity. They can make shifts on their roadmap. They're not very waterfall. Two, like... They're very data driven. And so how you end up seeing this in the product is that like their growth continues to move up, up, up and up. There's a lot of product teams out there that they're not actually that experimental. They're just shipping features to everybody. A lot of their roadmap prioritization is based on the CEO's interests and those teams tend to flounder. The third is that this is one you can't notice on the outside, but that there's not too much reorg happening. So Reorg is actually the death of like good product work. And the fact of the matter is like to understand, ideate and execute on solving a user's problem takes at least three months. And so if you're gonna keep jerking the team around, they're never gonna develop flywheel momentum as a product team. And that's really gonna hinder their ability to perform. And then finally, there needs to be this culture of one team, one dream. And so this is not always the case where engineering, design, and product management are all evaluated against the same business metrics. So in fact, in like 85% of cases, they're not. And so like engineering might have goals around moving away from microservice architecture. Design might have goals around material design. There will be all sorts of things that'll happen that pollute this picture. And that often prevents like some of the top 10% teams to really get to the top one, because then design and engineering aren't like helping the PM with, let's move those metrics really, really fast. And you actually do need that like heart of those three functions and ideally even analytics as a fourth, like being the brainchild behind this magical product work.
0: Thank you for that answer, that was very helpful. How do you see AI impacting the role of product managers in the next five to 10 years? So, obviously, like it's going to have significant impacts. Almost everyone can foresee it now, not just in product management, but just generally. I think there is going to be no profession or no industry that's going to be left untouched by AI in the coming decade. But how do you see product management overall as a profession evolve in the next five to 10 years?
1: So, the people who want to use negativity to grow on social media will have you think that gosh, like product managers, they're just fancy prompt engineers and they're going to be replaced and the number of product managers is going to go down. I, I hardly think that's the case. I think that the speed at which AI is going to solve people's problems is still slower than most people realize. It's still going to take decades, years of building the software. And so the key component there is like, it's about building and upgrading software. It's about integrating AI into software to solve people's problems. And so I think that actually the demand for product managers, if anything, is going to continue on the similar trajectory it is now, which is roughly, you know, one product manager per like 10 software engineers. And so as long as the number and demand for software engineers continues to go up, Product managers likely will continue to. If you look at like ChatGPT, people thought it would replace content writers, but the fact is like content writers who can write better than ChatGPT are growing faster than ever. And so what ends up happening is that it's gonna be product managers who can perform better than the AI who are gonna grow faster than ever. And so there is gonna be this sort of reckoning moment where Product managers who aren't more skilled than that have to drop out of the profession. And right now, like probably the top 20, bottom 20% of the profession fits in that category. And there's also going to be this component where this top 80% who stays in is going to be using AI for a ton of stuff. So some of the key use cases like that I know of today, SQL queries, it's amazing at it. It being data driven is a superpower as a PM. So if you can do that, it's great. Editing your PRDs. You can drop your PRD first draft in there and it'll criticize its weaknesses. Analyzing a competitor's new feature launch. You can give it the context of the new launch and the new website and it'll tell you what are their key metrics, why do they likely do it. Understanding what your user feedback is. It can read through all your app store reviews in seconds and consolidate and build you a prioritized list based on work and impact of what features you should do to improve your app store rating. So there's like, innumerable use cases already today. And so the best PMs will be using these tools in order to help them focused on more leveraged work instead of that neutral overhead work that the AI can do.
0: That kind of reminds me something that I read on Trias' Twitter as well. This was actually something that came up when Miro dropped its feature for note-taking, like doing a workshop on Miro. You can record the meeting in Miro. And then Miro can basically transcribe the meeting notes into action items on the stickies. And so someone was poking fun at how another aspect of a product manager's responsibility is being taken over by AI. And someone, I think it was Shiraz who replied to that and said that essentially a lot of your operational responsibilities, like you just said, are going to be replaced or enhanced. Right. But the agency of making that decision, which is the human part of it which is actually what makes a good product manager versus a great product manager. Being able to you know, look at two data points and articulate why you went ahead with A and not B is what's going to make you a great product manager.
1: Yeah, it's a thinking job. So until it's thinking better than humans, you know, we're, we're towards the end of the list. Actually, software engineers, I think, will be replaced first before PMs. It's more likely that software engineers become really good prompt engineers.
0: Last question before we close, I was recently listening on Lenny's podcast. There was a guest called Marilee, who is an AI product leader at Meta, and she talked about how in the next five years, almost everyone is going to be an AI product manager. And we touched upon this right now as well. Do you think that anyone who does not use this technology or forces themselves almost to be up to trend with this technology
1: is going to become irrelevant? So I think Marilee kind of made two points. She's amazing. She's a genius. Everybody should go, you know, check out her newsletter and her stuff as well as Lenny's stuff. But the two points she made, like one was a lot of product managers become AI product managers. And so that point I agree with less than the other point, which you just mentioned, which is all product managers will have to use AI. And so the reason I don't think all product managers will become AI product managers is because AI has certain elements of our product features that it needs to be built into. Generally, that's like the core value prop, the way things are delivered, but it's not going to ultimately like immediately solve fraud. Like the ML systems we have for fraud today, AI is not going to immediately replace those or the systems that we have for our accounts platform or for our payments or our billing infrastructure, or there's innumerable types of product teams that aren't core growth product teams. And so all of those teams are still going to exist. So in my opinion, like not every PM will become an AI PM because they won't need to integrate AI into their part of the product, but every PM will need to use AI tools to succeed. All
0: right. Coming to a close of our podcast, unfortunately, I have one last question for you, which I have for any guest. What are some of your favorite books? And they don't need to be about product management or startups. Just generally what are some of your favorite books
1: i love reading so i couldn't keep this list short but i would say like on the fiction side you know everybody should check out if they haven't yet like kite runner by khaled husseini is like an amazing book it will open your aperture it'll break you out of your day-to-day product management techie person and it'll take you transport you back to you know a different time (laughs) which is probably like one of the most important things to do as an adult that most people neglect. And then on the nonfiction side of the house, you know, you can't go without like mentioning, you know, a really great design book, like Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman. You can't go without like a really good career book, like Give and Take by Adam Grant. And of course, like this is a product management podcast. Like if you haven't read Inspired by Marty Kagan, like that's probably product management 101.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Akash. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm probably going to re-listen to this episode myself a few times to absorb all of the insights that you've shared with us. But it was an absolute plus. Thank you so much for sharing your learnings and experience with us. And I hope that we get to call you again very soon.
1: Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.